look, I, there is only one of me, but uh, don't call me don't call me your one and only. <laughs> God, God is our one and only. Uh, let's pray to Him. Uh, Lord God, we thank you uh, that you are our holy God. Um, and you do invite us to call you Father. You have given us your only Son. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful um, to come before you, to behold you uh, in your word this morning. Uh, and we pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word um, and uh, show us a, a glimpse of your holiness and your grace in Christ. In, in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, well, most of you, I'm sure, uh, will be familiar with that uh, classic Aussie rock song, uh, Working Class Man. Uh, it opens with these words, Working hard to make a living, bringing shelter from the rain, a father's son left to carry on blue denim in his veins. Whoa, he's a working class man. Uh, as I was looking that up this week, I uh, found something, what I found interesting about those words is the, the implication in them that work never ends. Uh, that line, a father's son left to carry on, it implies that nothing can, um, can stop the work that is being done, not even death, uh, because it's just taken up by the next generation in line. Work is endless. And that seems to be most people's experience. <clears throat> I know many people, um, including myself, uh, who work multiple jobs, uh, often including weekend shifts or uh, long hours during the week. Uh, many people like that uh, don't do it by choice, but um, are forced to work longer and longer hours, or at least they feel forced, to work longer and longer hours uh, to try and keep ahead of the rising cost of living. Uh, those of you who work on the land uh, know the uh, the real meaning of a full-time job, don't you? Uh, there's uh, 24-7 uh, demands. Crises come up when you least want or expect them. Uh, holidays, weekends, retirement, they don't really mean the same as they do for other people. Uh, but even with so-called uh, nine-till-five jobs, uh, it's not really limited to those working hours anymore. Uh, with our smartphones and our laptops, we take our work with us wherever we go. Uh, most people uh, feel pressured to check their emails before going to bed and first thing in the morning. Uh, they have demands and issues that come up that they have to address at night or on weekends. Uh, potentially, some many workers even have midnight conference calls overseas. <clears throat> um, and it seems everyone I talk to, no matter what sort of field they're in or what sort of work, if they're working or employed in some way, they feel like they're working too much and resting too little. Rest is uh, exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and to understand rest from a biblical perspective, we're going to go right back to the very beginning. Uh, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, or um, Peter mentioned this as well this morning, we've been thinking about the first chapters 
uh, of, the, of the Bible. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first week of existence, uh, the beginning of the world, the beginning of everything. Uh, Steve, over the last few ser- after, in his last few sermons, has spoken about how God made the world from nothing uh, for his own good purposes. Over a pattern of six days, God formed the earth, the sky, the sea, um, everything that is in all of those as well. He filled them with all manner of created and good things. Last of all, God created people, uh, man and woman, and he saw that it was very good. Uh, And that's where we pick up in chapter 2. Uh, Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, you'll see three points in your bulletins on those back, on the back page. Uh, and the first, as we read these verses, we, are, we get a glimpse of God's rest. Uh, you might say we are looking in on God's rest. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Moses, who wrote these words, goes out of his way to stress how beautiful this is. To, he writes it with really elegant uh, eloquent words. Uh, it's a, it's kind of framed in a poetic way. Um, I've got a literal translation here from Kenneth Matthews, uh, who wrote the New American Commentary on Genesis. He translates it like this, uh, verses 2 and 3, he, he translates, So God finished by the seventh day his work that he did, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he did. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it he rested from all his work which God created to do. Uh, there's, um, in the original Hebrew, uh, I'm told that there's seven words in three, in the three lines, uh, with each of those three lines having the seventh day as the central, uh, few words. A central phrase. Uh, and in this poem, the first and the second lines mirror one another. The third is the climax, and the fourth sort of reiterates that the ideas of the first two lines. It's a very, it's a tightly constructed, very carefully constructed poem. And it shows the beauty, the fact that, uh, that Moses structured it this way shows the beauty of God's day of rest. Uh, if you zoom in with me on that third line where it says at the, fir- the first half of verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a really odd thing to say. There's nothing quite like it in the Bible. Um, obviously, God blesses people. Um, he, we saw that last week and he does it very regularly throughout the Bible. People bless people. Uh, people bless God. That's a very common thing as you would expect. But to bless a day, 
This is the only place, or this and where it's quoted elsewhere in scripture, this is the only place where, it, where anything like that is used. And so it's a, it's a strange thing to say. It's a unique thing to say. It's a very exalted thing to say. It's, uh, it's lifting this day up above all the others as a special and significant and beautiful day. The idea of God resting uh, is meant to be remarkable, beautiful, profound. We're, we're meant to look in on God's rest with a sense of wonder and awe. Uh, but it also raises a sense of confusion. What are we to make of God resting? How does God rest? Why does God rest? It's not like he takes a day off from being God. You guys go do your own thing. Don't come looking for me. I'll just be uh, sleeping in and then I'll have a round of golf. <laughs> of course not. How ridiculous. God does not. He cannot for a second stop being God. He is eternal, unchanging. And if he were not eternal and unchanging, he would not be God. If God took a break from Godhood for even a second, the universe would disintegrate. We believe that nothing uh, exists independently of God, uh, as uh, we even teach our our kids to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. Because everything everything and everyone relies on God for life and breath and everything. If God didn't have the whole world in his hands, there would be no world and no one in it. God did not, he does not, he cannot stop being God. So, like I said, that raises a sense of confusion then in that why, what does it mean that God rested? Well, the passage, I think, explains it for us. It says, God finished his work that he had done. God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God, in his wisdom, having uh, created everything, he saw that nothing more needed to be made. He saw that all of creation was very good, and so he stopped making things. That's what it means that God rested. But that doesn't really answer the the actual conundrum. Why did God rest? Was he tired? Of course not. Was he... Maybe he was resting just for our benefit. I've heard people say that before. Um, And I think this is intended to be... Well, it certainly was taken... um, Understood uh, by the Israelites and God himself directed the Israelites to follow his example of resting on the seventh day. While it is good for for us to follow God's example, I don't think that's the main reason why he rested here. I guess the fact that God finished all of his creation is a reason to rest, but it doesn't explain why Moses made such a big deal out of it either. The 
But what I said before about this seventh day being this high point, the, the lifted above all the other days by the way that God blessed it and called it holy, suggests that this day is, it is the high point, the climax, the culmination of the creation week. God's work of creation was leading up to this point where he would rest from his work in creation, having made man and having declared everything to be very good, everything was leading up to God's rest. Creation was leading up to a time when God would dwell with his people and rest in enjoying the praise of his people, enjoying the love of his people, and them enjoying his love and his rest. The seven days of creation then end on this idyllic high, with all creation having been completed, and God himself resting and enjoying a job well done. God resting and enjoying his creation, while his creation enjoys him. All tied up in a nice little bow. As I said, this is a beautiful thing. Uh, There's just one problem at this point for us today, because like I said at the start, we're looking in. Like I said at the start, most of us do not feel like we're very well rested. And looking in on God's rest hardly helps with that. We can try and imitate God's rest, can't we? Uh, we, we maybe manufacture rest in our everyday busy lives. Uh, try and carve out some time where we do nothing, but it, it doesn't usually work very well. Uh, maybe you've, you've had your ex- own experience of that, or maybe you've read in the, read about the Pharisees, uh, who made all sorts of rules about what you could and couldn't do on a day of rest. And it ends up making people more anxious, because you're stressed about what you can and can't do. It, it ceases to be a day of rest because it's always full of anxiety about whether or not you're really resting. What you should or shouldn't be doing, what you could do or want to do or feel like you should do, but you're resting. You've got to make sure you're resting. You don't do anything. Trying to manufacture or force our way into experiencing God's rest ironically just makes us more anxious. The only way for us to go from looking in on God's rest to experiencing God's rest is for him to invite us into it. And that's what I'm going to spend the rest of this sermon talking about. Because God really does invite us into his rest. Uh, Rest is the goal of creation, and that's still the case. The goal of creation is still rest. But ever since humanity disobeyed God, when the world was put under a curse, the goal of rest seems a long way off. And so God invites us to hope in his rest. God saves us to hope in his rest as well. Just as God's work in creation results in rest, so too his work of salvation results in rest. Uh, You see this coming up when God rescued his people from Egypt, 
the Israelites from Egypt, he brought them out and promised them that he was bringing them to a place of rest. Uh, a, A resting place for the Israelites and a resting place for God himself, where he would once again rest as he did in creation. Now, the promised land was to be an Eden-like paradise where God would rest with his people. But if you know the, the story of the Old Testament, you know that truly never that never truly eventuated in the way that anyone would have liked. And so Hebrews in the New Testament tells us the promise of entering his rest still stands. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, uh, continues to hold out this promise of rest for those who follow God in this life. Uh, Though it, it warns that for those who reject God, there will be no rest. Uh, So Revelation 14, concerning those who reject God, it says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, those worshippers of the beast and its image. But concerning the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus, John writes, I heard a voice from saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, Blessed indeed that they may rest from their labours, for their deeds follow them. God calls us to hope in his rest as part of our eternal hope, as one of his great promises that he has in store for his redeemed people. Uh, But if that sounds like some vague, ephemeral, far-off idea... God puts flesh and bone on this promise as he does for all his promises. He promised that it would come about through the Messiah. Now listen to what God promised David in 1 Chronicles 22. He says, I will raise up your son who shall be a man of rest. Uh, God promises I will give him rest from his surrounding enemies and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in those days. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Uh, In 1 Chronicles 22, uh, it's explicitly said that God is speaking about Solomon, David's son. But the, the, again, the promise still stands uh, because God never fulfilled Solomon's throne forever. Right? There is still a king who will be established forever and who will bring rest and of course we read uh, in Matthew 11 about who that king is where that promise of a man of rest finds its fulfillment uh, Matthew 28 11:28 excuse me Jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus, the man who brings justice to victory, in whose name the Gentiles will hope, who will not break a bruised reed, who will not quench a smouldering wick, who is gentle and lowly in heart. He is our man of rest, the source and fulfilment of the rest in which we hope. Of course, we don't fully experience that rest until we die, according to Revelation. And yet, even now in Jesus, you can find rest for your souls. I mentioned before um, about the beauty of God's day of rest. But here is something even more beautiful. The man of rest, gentle and lowly, holding out his hands and inviting you, come to me. Uh, Rest, then, is one of the great blessings of what it means to be a Christian. If you are a Christian, if you've died with Christ, then you have died to the demands of this world. The anxieties of this world are dead to you, and there is no need to fear them anymore. For the greatest thing that we fear, death itself, is already past. If you've died with Christ, you've also been raised with Christ to new life. Not physically yet, but spiritually now and physically in the time yet to come. And if you have been spiritually raised with Christ, then you also experience the blessings of the resurrection spiritually. And and so Jesus offers you rest for your soul. If you labor, Jesus says, come to me. If you labor to save yourself, come to Jesus. If you labor to change the world, come to Jesus. If you labor to please your boss or placate your kids or satisfy angry customers, come to Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you are heavy laden, Come to Jesus. If you are laden with sin and guilt, come to Jesus. If you are laden with an impossible life goal or with crushing uncertainty, come to Jesus. If you are laden by demands of your workplace or your home or your school, come to Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. He will not crush you under his burden, for his burden is light. Come to Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. That's what it means to hope in God's rest, to hope in Jesus who gives you rest. Because in Jesus we can share in God's rest now. Uh, And that brings us to our final point. So I want to talk a little bit more practically about how how we can share in God's rest. Uh, If you know the Ten Commandments, you'll know that the fourth of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, And in Exodus 20, God explicitly says, as I I alluded to earlier, that this is in imitation of how God rested in that creation week. Uh, Now, for the the Israelites to whom Moses originally wrote Genesis, uh, that would be the primary application of the first three verses of Genesis 2, is that they needed to follow God in that example of rest. Uh, now, you might, have been heard, you might have heard or been taught in the past um, that that command is binding on us today. 
uh, whether on Saturday or on Sunday or some other day. Um, But given the way Paul speaks in Romans 14, I'm not convinced that it's binding as a command on us today. Paul says one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. So if you think the commandment is binding on us today, I'm happy not to argue with you. But given how Paul talks there, I take it that there is no obligation for Christians to have one day of rest a week. Uh, At least according to Old Testament stipulations. That's my understanding and I'm pretty sure that's probably the way most of people in this room are going to agree with me. But here's the thing, even if you do agree that Christians don't have to rest one day a week, as I was reflecting on this over the last couple of weeks, more and more I was thinking, why don't we want a day of rest a week? Who doesn't want to have a day off a week? If most of us feel overworked and underrested, like I said before, and and rest is such a wonderful, beautiful thing, then we should want to share in God's rest even if we don't have that obligation and command from the Old Testament. You may or may not think that the Sabbath, that weekly pattern of rest, is something we have to do. But I think we can all agree, we can all rejoice that a regular pattern of rest is something we get to do. God's rest is something we get to share in. Uh, If you follow that weekly pattern of rest from the Old Testament, then God's pattern of rest is something we get to share in a whole day in seven. Isn't that great? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Um, But let's talk practicalities and feasibility for a second. Most of you know I work two two part-time jobs, Uh, Plus, I'm finishing off a master's degree. Plus, I have two kids under three. A day of rest a week is not easily feasible. I know what a busy schedule is like. I know how hard it is to fit in a regular pattern of rest. So if you're like me and a weekly pattern of... a, a weekly day of rest seems entirely unfeasible, then let me give you a few tips that have helped me. Uh, the first tip is you don't have to do nothing. Uh, like I said before, we, it's easy to get anxious about what you should or shouldn't be doing. Uh, and it, uh, but you don't have to do nothing. Now remember, if resting really meant doing absolutely nothing and God rested on the seventh day of the week, then creation would have only lasted six days. God rested from his work of creation, but he was still holding the whole universe together. Um, Or to pick another example, when I was uh, learning to swim, I was also taught to tread water. Uh, They told me if you're swimming a long way in deep water and you need a rest, tread water. It's not doing nothing, obviously. It takes a little bit of effort, but it's a lot less effort, and it is much more restful than whatever you were trying to do to reach shore. 
If you're busy with loads of demands and a day off seems unfeasible, don't give up trying to rest. You can still rest even if there are things that you have to do. Just tread water for a day. Hold the fort. Don't go out of your way to find extra jobs. They can wait another day. As much as you are able, take a rest. Uh, here's a second tip. Feel free to keep doing what you, feel free to enjoy doing what you like doing. Uh, it's kind of closely related to that previous tip, but with a positive spin. Uh, I was reading a book recently, um, and this guy was recounting how uh, he had been brought up in a cult, in a, a church where Sunday was the, the day of rest. Um, and as a kid, his mother had stopped him from playing catch with himself by throwing a ball against a wall on a Sunday, because that was work, obviously. Uh, the way I see it, good gifts come from God and rest is meant to be enjoyable. It's not meant to be a burden. If you like throwing and catching a ball against a wall, go ahead, I'm not going to stop you. If you like cooking or gardening, if that's restful for you, go ahead. Uh, not all of us find books and beds and couches particularly restful. You do what you like on your on your rest. But also, here's a third tip... Spend time with Jesus if you're trying to rest. Um, There's a really good reason why most Christians throughout history have combined a day of rest and a day of worship. If Jesus is our rest, then it's wholly appropriate for us to gather to praise him and to hear from him on our day of rest. In fact, more than appropriate, it's the most natural thing that we can do. Uh, resting doesn't just mean going out and having a round of golf and then going home and sleeping for the rest of the day. It doesn't make sense if Jesus is our rest. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to rest on a Sunday and you have to come to church on your day of rest. Uh, if, if you're on rosters on ch- at church... Um, you feel the pressure to be here and look your best and do your best, uh, or maybe meeting with lots of people is a stressful thing, um, Sunday is a day of work for me, in a sense. I'm literally at work right now. So here's a couple of things I want to say in response to that. Firstly, I want to say, if coming to church is a burden for you, then we want to help with that. Come and talk to myself or one of the elders about that. We're coming here to rest. We're coming here to experience the gospel. The gospel tells us that we don't need to strive and work. We're not here to put on a show or perpetuate a program. We're here to help people find the hope and peace and rest of the gospel. I would rather people experience rest in Jesus than that our Sunday Sunday programs go smoothly. Um, But secondly, also, like I said, you don't have to rest on Sunday. Uh, Steve uh, takes his days off usually on Monday. Uh, I don't particularly have a stable roster, but I usually try and take Saturdays off as my day of rest and family time. Uh, because, as I said, Sunday is, you know, this is me coming to work in a, in a very real sense. 
Um, so if you're in a position where you can take a day off a week, then maybe it's, be- it's good to sign up for a roster at su- on Sunday at church so that you can give rest, give that gift of rest to someone else who works all other hours. Either way, spend time with Jesus on your day of rest. He's what rest is all about. Now, my final tip is try and prepare for your day of rest. Uh, as I was reflecting on these, these verses this week in Genesis 2, uh, I noticed that God finished his creation. It says it twice. God finished his creation uh, so that he could have a day of rest. Uh, later on, he, uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had manna to eat, God told them, grab twice as much on the sixth day of the week in preparation for your day of rest. Preparation for your day of rest. Maybe you uh, find it difficult to relax when your house is in a mess. Um, if that's the case, then maybe you could clean up the house the day before your designated day of rest. If you're in, a, in the middle of a big project, try finishing it off by the end of the week so that you don't have it looming on your day off. Uh, maybe you, you feel the need to respond to all your emails and messages before you feel comfortable turning your phone off for a day. Whatever you have to do to be able to experience that rest, to feel like you've finished your work, that's a helpful tip, a helpful thing you can do before your day of rest. Of course, it's not always possible, uh, which is why it's so important that Jesus frees us from those demands that might hang over us on our days of rest. Um, But those are my tips for how you can experience rest. Uh, Let me just close with a word of encouragement. Uh, Rest in the Bible is often associated with peace, um, as you might expect. The experience of rest leads to a feeling of peace. Um, And so let me read from John 20, verses 19 Uh, to 21 and a few more verses as well. Just after Jesus rose from the dead, he encouraged his disciples uh, with the peace that he offers. John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and hold out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. So hope in God, find peace in Jesus. His rest is a blessing that we get to share in. Praise the Lord. Peace be to you. Amen.